a couple more things that uh, we wanted to add as, you know, we, we love what God is doing here at Calvary Chapel Fullerton. Amen? And we are constantly desiring. We want to align our hearts with God's heart. Lord, what is it that you want to do in and through our church, the church? One thing that we have um, been making an emphasis, and you've been seeing it um, as you guys are coming at 915 and joining us for pre-service prayer. Um, and I just encourage you guys, uh, come out, be a part of what God's doing there. We've had some really neat prayer times, praying for, praying with, just hearing little testimonies, kind of directing our prayer time. And that's made for some really special time on Sunday mornings. But two events that are kind of building off of this, and you'll hear more about um, this emphasis, even as we're getting into First Thessalonians and seeing God's design and desire for the church. But this Friday, Ty. Ty is one of the guys that's up here on the worship team. Young guy, kind of curly hair, plays the keys and also the electric guitar. But he's been asking me to create some space um, like on a night where we can just have a night of some worship and prayer. And, um, you know, he was a part of the worship team at... Um, at Whittier Christian, and so he's got some young people there, and he's a part of uh, what, what we're doing here. And so this Friday night, he's just, we're going to open up the church, 5 o'clock, and there's just going to be some directed prayer and worship. If you're looking for a place to come on a Friday night and just spend some time hanging out with Jesus, having some prayer, having some worship, uh, I want to open that up to you and say, come on out. Um, no whole like set schedule. It's not another preaching, teaching night. It's a night to come in and just hang out and enjoy some prayer and worship on a Friday night. So um, that's going to be this Friday. So please take note of that. The second thing, uh, once a year, we get together as the church in Fullerton, uh, a group of churches to pray for the city. And we've done it in different locations. This year, it's going to be right across the street at Wilshire Ave right? And um, we're going to be getting together there on Thursday, November 9th, not next Thursday, but the following Thursday. And uh, it's going to be a night of prayer. We'll start at seven o'clock. We'll probably go about an hour and a half or so. And uh, as the different people in the churches gather together, um, we're going to lead out. I'm going to open up the time in prayer. Another pastor is going to lead the next section, the next section, the next night. And it's just directed prayer, praying for each other, praying for our churches, praying for the city. And I love how God has used that over the years to just kind of give birth to vision, to give unity, to encourage us as the churches. And so I just take a mental note. If that's something where you're like, man, I'd love to come out on a Thursday night and gather with a bunch of other Christians in the city and just pray together, have some Jesus time together. So that's going to be November 9th, not next Thursday, but the following Thursday, right across the street, Wilshire Ave. Um, come on out and, uh, and be a part if you guys would like to join us. All right, we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We spent a solid year in the book of Genesis and so exciting. You're going to watch those seeds begin to sprout even as we're getting into the book of 1 Thessalonians. But last week we started officially into the book and so we looked from the book of Acts, kind of this flyover version of kind of how that story unfolded, how God used Paul as he was going on the second missionary journey. And so um, that's what we read last week. You can find that story in Acts chapter 17. This week, we're getting into the book, the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so we're going to read a couple of verses out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So let's stand as we read God's word together. And uh, how about this? I'll read the odd and we can read the highlighted or even verses together. Let's start here in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. For as our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You guys can have a seat. So I'm excited about this letter. And obviously in this particular occasion, as we watched from the book of Acts, Paul's on his second missionary journey. And as uh, we unfold this letter, we watched this encounter as God was working through him through the multiple weeks that he was there. And then he left in his mind too quickly. I mean, we could argue that he was there maybe three weeks before a mob throws him out of the city. And he's got to run and make his way over into the next city. And in those three weeks, the things that he was able to cover, the, the seeds that were able to be planted, God used that to form a church. And as Timothy would go back and try to water and plant those seeds, when Timothy catches up to Paul over in Corinth, there's questions. There's things about what they talked about. There's, there's things that Paul was concerned about, you know, like, oh man, I hope that, you know, the enemy didn't like come out and squish your guys' faith. And, and so as we look at this letter, this correspondence, as Paul is writing back to answer questions, you know, about specific topics, as Paul is wanting to encourage and to fan the flame of faith, the other reason that this letter is important is we kind of look at the historical evidence of like, what's the order in which Paul like wrote his letters? We would argue that this is probably the first of Paul's written letters. It's not his first journey. Remember, we had his first missionary journey, but this is the first letter that he wrote to a church. And so it kind of gives us a blueprint for God's design and desire for the church, which is one of the reasons as I pray for our church and, and we together are asking God, what do you want to do in and through our church? And even in the big picture, the church, what is the blueprint, you know, that we kind of look to in a world where a lot of people are struggling with the idea of church. You know, you, you hear that sometimes, right? Jesus, I like. The church, uh, not so much. And people talk about different denominations. And these people are right. And those people are right. What is the standard, you know, that we kind of hold the church to in terms of holding it accountable? What's the blueprint? What's the design? What are the kind of things that should be a part in, in a thriving church where the gospel is at work? And that's one of the reasons I'm like, Lord, let's get into 1 Thessalonians. And I think what we see here in this book is the transforming power of the gospel. 
And I think there's some parallels for us in Orange County and in Fullerton, thinking of kind of our demographics and how God has placed us for such a time as this. And even as we look at kind of what Paul was doing with like, why why Thessalonica? You know, we can begin to see maybe some similar things on God's heart that he still wants to do before he comes back. Amen? All right, so we just talked about this. This gives you kind of a visual overview. Remember, we're on Paul's second missionary journey. This is the first time that the gospel is going to Europe, and it kind of stayed right around in that, that, that initial section on the, uh, you know, Turkey and obviously uh, right there outside of Israel. Remember, when, when Jesus had ascended in heaven and the command go unto all the earth, like that was the command, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the, the earth. That's the blueprint. But the guys hadn't necessarily started that yet. And so we watch as the gospel is breaking through into what would be that Greco-Roman world. And here, as Paul made his first stop to Philippi, that's where we had the beginning of that call, the man of Macedonia. And uh, in Philippi, again, same thing, God's working, things are happening, demons are getting cast out. Paul gets thrown into prison, prison guard gets saved, and a little church is birthed in that city. And as he begins to make his way from Philippi over to Thessalonica, we're on what would be one of the main highways. The main east-west highway was the Via Ignatia. And Thessalonica was home to both being right on that main road that kind of traveled through what would be these big city empires, what would be one of the capital cities is Thessalonica, but it also had one of the best ports in all of Greece. You can see based on where it's stationed, it had the ability to be a key partner in terms of trade. So imagine when something happens in that city and Paul says that it was going throughout the world, that's because Thessalonica was a hub. And when that domino began to fall for the gospel, it had an impact on the whole world around him. And so that's where Thessalonica is. Paul's down, you see the red arrow? Paul's down in Corinth, writing back. Now granted, while Paul's in Corinth, we're gonna understand his letter to the Corinthians. Obviously his letter to the Thessalonica Thessalonians? <laughs> that sounds like an Italian dish, right? The Thessalonians right? To Thessalonia, that's a particular place. In fact, it's still a city today. You can go to Thessaloniki, right? And you can go see some of these different places. You're like, wow, you know, some of these things still exist. So putting that in context, as I mentioned before, Thessalonica was a key city in this Greek and Roman empire. It had some very special status as a free city because of its connection to the emperor, because historically the way it had supported the emperor and the empire, it was afforded particular freedoms. You're like, why is this important, Caleb? Because ultimately when the gospel goes forth and people start accusing you of political subterfuge of doing things that actually might cause the emperor to look and say, whoa, 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 you're preaching another king besides the emperor, which could cause us to lose our particular status. And for them, everything that was connected in terms of all the guilds and trades and what you and I would consider like unions were all connected to that Greek and Roman pantheon. And so you had all kinds of worship connected to every facet of your life. And it's in this place that the gospel begins to take root. It's in this place that Paul's like, hey, this is a place where we can knock on the devil's doorstep and begin to see what God can do. So Thessalonica was a key city, a capital city, if you will. And that's where this work is beginning to take place. Now, as I mentioned before, it's from here that Paul's gonna declare, hey, from you guys, the gospel is going out into all the world. I mentioned this last week. We sometimes forget that you right now are living in an epicenter city. 
You know, not just Fullerton. Fullerton's number six in Orange County, but Orange County's number six in terms of the most populated counties in the United States. Number one is, anybody remember? I feel like I'm giving out candy and prizes here. Number one, the largest county in America, most populous county in America, Los Angeles County. 10 million people in Los Angeles County. Number six was Orange County. Anybody remember number five? San Diego, slightly just above us. Number 10 was Riverside. San Bernardino's like number 14. Guys, half of California's population lives in a two-hour radius of right here where we're sitting. Okay? When you think about, now, every time you drive on the freeway, you're like, yep, I know, I get it. You know, like they all live right here. But part of that should help you understand why the battleground you know, in terms of what is God wanting to accomplish here? Why, when the Jesus Revolution movie, which was a great movie, right? When it kind of encapsulates a little bit about this thing that grew out of this group of churches, why did that have an effect, a ripple effect around the world? Because what happens here, think Hollywood and some of the other places, is going to have a ripple effect on the world. This little two-hour radius, this patch of ground where all these people are living, what if God has a desire to do another revival through his churches, through families, through you. What would that look like? What could that look like? And I think looking at churches like Thessalonica and what God did in the city should stir our hearts again to be like, Lord, we need that. Notice again, we look at how this started going back into uh, the book of Acts. It says, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So again, Paul is making his way from Philippi, travels these cities are on that key east-west road, and then he comes to the major capital city of Thessalonica. And for him, it's like, where do I even start? When we start talking about the things that God wants to do in Orange County, the things that God wants to do in Fuller, and some of you guys are like, that's great, Caleb, go for it, <laughs> right? You're like, but where do I start you know, how do I even, how do I even dream about being a part of that? That just seems so overwhelming. But I want you to notice the simplicity that for Paul, step one was just kind of starting in his comfort zone. The synagogues were always kind of the open door for Paul because A, number one, that was his background, having been a Pharisee, having been trained in the law, etc. And there was open space, think of like coffee shop hour, right? It's like, hey, you get to come, this is where people would gather. And there would be an opportunity to, to expound from scripture, to have these, these conversations. And so that became the starting point for Paul to what? To share the truth. We're, we're 20 years removed from Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's walking into this, this synagogue and he's saying, let me tell you a story. Let me begin to unfold for you Isaiah. Let me begin to unfold for you these promises and these prophecies. And let me tell you how Jesus himself fulfilled these prophecies. It's like, really? And then comes the most important part. But then he was crucified. And on the third day, he resurrected, proving that he is the Messiah. And everybody like, what is he talking about? And here, as Paul would begin to share that truth, he could also share his what? I was a Jew among Jews, as a Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. And he could share his testimony. And so Paul began very simply, very practically, just starting to communicate his story, his testimony, God's story. That's kind of what we started talking about last week, of how big an impact the, the work of just starting a planting the seeds of sharing the gospel could begin to have on a city, on a region. Ultimately, what we see is the birth of a church. Uh, anyone know where that is? Come on, my Fullertonians. Where are we? Nayeli, where's this? Yeah, where is this? 
Cal State Fullerton, right? Largest of the Cal State campuses in all of California is right here in our backyard, Cal State Fullerton, 40,000 plus students. So um, when we think about just opportunities, you know, strategic places where, you know, God wants to work. Oh, a couple of years ago, we came across um, a guy by the name of Jared at Johnson. He was already working with some of the Calvary chapels in the area. He was a student there at Cal State Fullerton. And part of his heart, his ministry was to, to, to begin to create opportunities for evangelism, discipleship, outreach there on the campus. And, you know, I don't like to, to start things like, like to say, hey, this guy's doing this. We're going to start our own. So I was like, how can we come alongside maybe things that God is already doing? So we met with them, spent some time with them, spent some time encouragement, discipleship. And so over the years, we became a church that was supporting and partnering. And we've had a number of students that have connected with him. Well, Tuesday, I said, I'm coming out with you, right? Like, I want to see what God is doing there on the campus. And, I, and, and for like the first hour-ish, we were handing out tracts, just having conversations. I literally walked on the campus, sat down, and in less than 30 seconds, someone walked up and he's like, are you a student? I'm like, no. He's like, are you a law student? I'm like, no. <laughs> he's like, why are you here? I teach the Bible, you know, and it's like that opened up a door to pray for this guy. I'm like, man, I just walked on campus and instantly I'm having a conversation with somebody. I think he was trying to sell me something. That's another story. I'm like, what? I got a story to tell you. Um, but like literally, I'm telling you within two minutes, I was having a conversation praying with someone and I'd look at him and he's in the middle of another conversation with somebody else on the bench. Like, wow, it's like there's fishing and then there's like fish jumping into your boat, right? And you'd be surprised when you're intentionally going somewhere to share the gospel. How many people in a space like this are just longing for answers to questions that they don't even know? Like, man, this is what I'm wrestling with. And so for like the first hour, hour and a half, we, we, we had probably like 10 conversations with different people over different topics, just as God would leave. Sit up and engage, have a conversation, et cetera. You see the skateboarding guys, you know, we're talking from them about atheism all the way down to like Jesus coming back and being ready. And, um, and this guy here, George, uh, he was the guy we probably spent the most time. And that was after, uh, after the first hour and a half of just kind of doing uh, street witnessing, if you will, just talking to people, handing out tracts, encouraging, having different conversations. Then he got into some street preaching and he stands up there in the quad and he just, he's like, all right, uh, will you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so, and then he just gets up and how many of you guys have seen um, like Ray Comfort? You guys know what I'm talking about? And he spent a lot of time kind of working on that. And, and as he got up in the middle of the quad, we're doing it during the time like when everyone's like headed out after lunch. And so now there's the, there's just a sea of people, right? We've all lied, we've all stolen something. And the Bible says he will render, he will give each one according to his works. And you're being honest enough to say, hey, I've done it. So is everybody listening. We've all failed, haven't we? So if you die today, you stand before God, guilty of breaking his laws. Are you innocent or are you guilty? Heaven or hell? Does that scare you? It should. And now that I've brought you as low as I can, I want to share with you good news. Everybody fails the good person test. You, me, everybody listening. We've all lied, we've all stolen, we've all lusted, and a million other things. We deserve God's judgment, but do you know what God has done so that you could be saved? Do you know where this is going? There's a, there's a God, he's just, but he's also merciful. You've sinned, he hasn't. You're the rebel, but he's the king, and yet the king became a servant. That's Jesus. 
Jesus came. He lived a perfect life so that he could give them as a ransom for many. For those who are listening, for you, if you turn to that God, he will drop the charges. It would be like if you're in court and you deserve jail. You have this stack of crimes. But imagine someone comes in and says, Judge, I know Richard did it and I did it, but I will take it as if I did. That's Jesus on the cross. We use his name as a cuss word. We crack jokes. We laugh. We mock. But here is the only one who can give you eternal life. He's the only one that can save you. And so if you turn to the resurrected Jesus and you say, God, I get it. I'm not a good person, but you are. I can't forgive myself, but you can. And you are the only one that did the work so that I can enter heaven. You come to that Jesus. You bend the knee to him as God, and he will pardon you, Richard. It's pretty cool. What was fun is, uh, you know, we start with a trivia. You hold up a dollar. If you can answer this question, I'll give you a dollar. We do that a couple of times. Now you get other people watching, right? And they're like, $5 if you take this good person test. And that person decided to participate, you know, answer the questions. But what's cool about that is all the other people that are stopping and watching. Because even though he stopped and engaged, the guy that we spent the hour plus with afterwards who had contemplated suicide who was struggling with some of these big questions, who felt disconnected from God, felt disconnected from the church. That guy, George, that's the guy that we got to pray with and pray for. And, and, and you just never know whom the Lord, particularly on that day in that moment, is like drawing to himself. And, and, and I love both the sincerity and the clarity and the faithfulness. He's out there Monday through Thursday, 1130 to 2. So if any of you guys are like, man, I want to go on campus and go spend some time praying with people, evangelizing, just kind of get your feet wet, go for it. Come out. I, it, it challenged me. It had been a while since I'd done it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I can't just be that, that stander by like, I'll pray for you. Like, let's have some conversations. And I was blown away. I was blessed. I left pumped. I think I called Kim. Like, Kim! Um, <laughs> And it was just so cool how God used that time and how many people really are hungry for answers. Why do I bring that up? Because what did I just say? It was Paul faithfully going out, planting gospel seeds, being willing to just say, I have a message and I know the message has power because the message is true. And for 21 days, at least three Sabbaths, Paul went out and communicated the message. And why is he writing a letter back? Because in those 21 days, God was able to plant a church, enough people who responded to the message whom God began to transform and shape and were drawn to the gospel. Something began to happen that was so radical that Paul's testimony was what God's doing here is now ringing out to the world. What if we began to pray and say, Lord, what could you do through us over the next 21 days? What could you do in my little world, be it your school, your job, your family? You see, we have this idea of like, okay, we've got this five-year plan. Paul didn't know if he was going to have five years in Thessalonica. He had 21 days. 21 days to just plant seeds, share the story, share the gospel, right? Like the parable of the sower. My job is to scatter the seed. It's the seed that reveals the soil. Not every soil ended up being good soil, but the, the, the job of the farmer wasn't like, okay, we're going to take soil samples, and then we're going to check out for the right season, right? The parable of the sower, his job was to go out and scatter the what? Scatter the seed. And imagine in our city, in our place, in our families, if we committed to say, Lord, what if, what if I just today was looking for one person, two people, to answer that question, to pray for, to plant a seed of the gospel, you may not have an hour. Some conversations are like 30 seconds or less, right? It's that elevator pitch of the gospel. Jesus loves you. 
But I mean, when have we really committed to saying, Lord, I want to be that person that's intentionally, actively doing that? Why? Because Calvary Chapel Fuller needs to grow. Not necessarily. That can't be the motive and the purpose. Have you flipped on the news? Do you realize how many people, that's one of the conversations that I have with people, does flipping on the news bring you stress and chaos? Do you look at the events that are going on in the world and feel like we are moving towards a cataclysmic end and you watch these guys go like, oh, you're right, you know? And it's like, did you know that Jesus talked about some of this stuff? And I'm, and, I, and I'm just talking with people in a very normal, like not crazy, but like people need to know these, they've got these questions and you and I've got the answers. As we begin to look deeper into this letter, we look at the way that Paul was described as they um, began to talk about what Paul was doing. It said, and, uh, and, 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 and these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's the way that the, the people who were looking at Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were like, man, where these guys have gone, they've turned the world upside down. Let me talk about that for a minute because I do think that some people have this idea like of Christ and Christianity, like they've got the, the table flipping over and don't get me wrong, there's stuff in society where I'd love to just start flipping tables and be like, what are we doing? I don't necessarily think that's the idea you know, of what he was talking about, because there's stuff that we can get so worked up about, right? We got we to gotta turn the tables of all this stuff that's going on. The gospel needs to turn the world upside down. And maybe it's politics, you know, maybe it's power, maybe it's promotion. I got to just flip all these things around. But I don't know if that's exactly what we're looking at as we look at this example in the book of Acts. Notice, what was it that was Paul's desire? What was it that was his motive as he was out preaching the gospel? just to kind of like preach against all the, the, the terrible of Rome and all the, the, the gods that people worshiped and all the excesses in people's lives? Or was communicating a message about Jesus and inviting them into a relationship that is now called the church? Notice, this is really where we're gonna camp out today. Chapter one, verse one, as he opens up this letter, he says, and to the church of the Thessalonians. Why does he use this word? How does this word get applied? And how is it still important today as we think about what the purpose of the church is? Wherever Paul went, his goal was to preach the gospel and to plant what? This is really important because there's a lot of things we can get involved in in the world. You know, I wanna, I wanna get involved in this thing and get involved in that thing. You know, as Christians, as we look at what Paul's ministry is, as we look at what our job is to do even today, Wherever Paul went, his goal was to preach the gospel and to what? Plant churches. Why? This is our word for church. In the Greek, you've heard it before, ekklesia. Okay, when Jesus uses this word for the very first time in Matthew 16, this was a common word. We also have like our understanding of the synagogue, a gathering of people, etc. But there's something more than just the idea of a crowd implied here. This is a combination of two Greek words, out, ek, and kaleo, to call out. Basically, this is this idea of those that have been called out, those that have been called to, right? There's that idea like we're getting picked for the team and I call your name and you step forward to get on the team. And so this thought that the ecclesia are the called out ones, that, that, that means someone is calling and he's calling you to somewhere, and when, and when this description of the church gets used, it, it kind of goes back to where we left off in the book of Genesis. Remember that promise to Abraham that God was going to bless his family, but his family would also be a blessing to the what? 
to the nations, to the whole world. Like there is this idea that you are getting folded in, grafted in into the family of God. This blessing, this promise of a community of God's people, God's design, God's desire of what he wants to do in and through the world. Like that's pretty important. Because ever since we go back to the very beginning of the book of Eden and that separation that we had, right? There is a longing, there is a desire, there is a craving for that fulfillment of that, that, that we call an Edenic, an Edenic longing of the soul, right? We're separated from God. What is it that is, gonna, that is gonna fulfill that? And so when we talk about the idea of the church, when we talk about this idea of being grafted in, being a part of the family of God, you're reaching into the very core of what people are longing for. Because since that moment in the garden, we've been separated. There's shame, there's guilt, there's fear. And there's all kinds of other paths and avenues that people are trying to to use to to solve that. And when we talk about the church, talking about God's design for solving that. Are you tracking with me? Second, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven, eight. Look at how Paul describes his relationship with them. It says, we were gentle among you just as a nursing, nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become dear to us. Notice the relational language, the family language, like a mother with a child. That is part of what the design and the desire for the church is to do. It was a family for people to separate you know, from their gods and all of the worship of their gods would often result in being annexed from family and community. And so the idea that if I were saying no to those and saying yes to Jesus, that the church actually became that family, that community where people began to not only have that spiritual fellowship, but that physical fellowship. Paul says like a mother with the children, like that's how his relationship with the church began. It's more than a club. The church has to be more than just some social place that we gather, do a couple activities, etc. It is the regathering of the family of God, the fulfillment of his promise. It is you experiencing your place in the family, in the heart of God. That's part of what we're communicating, not just our church, but the church. Now, as I mentioned before, the very first use of this term. As we go back to understanding what the church is, I've said it before, Matthew 16, 18, Caesarea Philippi, headwaters of the Jordan, Jesus is standing there and he asks that particular question, who do, who do men say that I am, right? And he gives all these different answers. You're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist. And then the most important question, who do what? Who do you say that I am? This really is the front door of what the church is all about. It's that understanding of who Jesus is. And Peter gets it. The first time, ding, 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 right? Flesh and blood is not revealed that to you, my Father in heaven. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, and upon this, what? Rock, I will build my church. Was he talking about Peter being the rock? No, but there's a lot of people that think that. He's actually standing there at Caesarea Philippi with his giant rock. And he says, and upon this rock, talking about this big rock, when he talked about Peter, he called him little rock. Not Arkansas, just a little rock, right? Two different words. And the big rock that he was talking about was the revelation of who Jesus is. That is the foundation that the church is built on. So when we think about the idea of how we access, how we enter into the church, Jesus told us in John chapter 10, verse nine, he is the what? He is the door. In John 14, six, he says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. This is what the foundation, the focus is all about. It comes down to that question of 
Who is Jesus? That's what the church has to be about. A lot more than a social club, a lot more than a place that we gather and just have activities and do good things from. The church is the gathering of people who understand the answer to that question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see, Paul was willing to sacrifice, even ultimately experience great difficulty, all for the sake of communicating that message. Let me tell you about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. He died on this cross and he resurrected, all to the point of having being willing to be thrown in jail because his message would be like, hey, that's anti-political. They considered the Christians early atheists because they were against the gods. And imagine all the wrath that would be incurred as you're coming against Zeus and Aphrodite and all the rest of their gods. And Paul was willing to say, look, this is eternity. You need to know, let me tell you the gospel. It's good news. When we think about what the church is, I like this description, the gospel made visible. Because I want us to kind of dwell and think a little bit about as God was working here in Thessalonica and we're thinking about our city and we're thinking about us. Like, is that the blueprint? Is that the design? Is that what our church looks like? Are we a living fulfillment? Are we the gospel made visible? Because the church, as we look throughout the book of Acts, is the force and fulfillment of the great commission. Notice that the word commission really is an involvement of two very important things. Co, like with, mission. Who are we on mission with? Jesus. When he says, go into all the world, and he closes with, and I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Notice we are partnering with him in his mission. And the, the, the work of the church, the expansion of the church, is not just some political entity. It's really about the kingdom of God coming to men. Matthew 28, here's Jesus' description as we get into the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. When you think about the idea of authority, and granted, people had this idea of different kings and kingdoms and all of that. A herald was somebody that would come before, right? And I'm telling you, the king is coming. I'm bringing the message. I'm the forerunner. And when we think about all authority has been given to Jesus, all authority to do what? Authority over the other gods, authority of all of these different, you know, things that people were worshiping, etc. But also the key thing that he's given authority over is forgiveness of what? Sin. Like our ability to come in and to proclaim who God is and have the authority, the ability, because like if I walk into court, while there's a court case going on and I just, not guilty. Judge is going to look at me like, who are you, right? Like, you have no authority, no stance. You know what? What role do you play? Like, what gives us the authority to look at somebody right now today in your life, in your family, at your job, and be able to declare with confidence you're not guilty? Like, imagine being able to say because of the authority of Jesus Christ given to you by his death and resurrection, someone who is struggling with sin and guilt and shame and fear and all the rest of the things, the complications that come with that, Jesus has that authority and then he's what? He has given that authority to you. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Like you have been deputized. You are an ambassador. You literally have been given authority by God to be his ambassador, to communicate the message of rescuing, bringing people from darkness into light, into the family of God. 
you can tell them with absolute assurance and confidence because that's what they said. You believed our word, not just as if it were our words, but as if it had the authority, the stamp of God. And that began to transform the community of Thessalonica. Jesus said, go make what? Converts? There's a difference. This is where the church comes in. Like our job isn't just to like drop the seed of the gospel and that's it. The process of making disciples, helping transform people into the image of Jesus Christ, baptizing them, literally helping them change from that station. You've gone from death to life. You are now a part of the family of God. All those other things washed away. Man, you are a new creation. How radical is that message? And we look and he finishes and he says what? teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. Like it's actually our job to share, to pass this along. We don't keep it for ourselves, some secret knowledge of a secret society. You gotta climb through all these different steps and get to some ultimate, but like it's our job as people begin to get saved, transfer from death to life to begin to pass along and communicate. Why? Because then it's their job to pass it along to the next one. That's just part of how the, the, the message of the gospel has gone viral all over the globe and in every culture, in every country, regardless of how impoverished or how tyrannical the government, the power of the gospel has been able to meet people's needs and transfer them into the kingdom of light everywhere on the globe. Let me show you a real simple clip about this idea of what is the church. Churches are full of people, the broken, the lonely, the wanderers, the hopeful, the enthusiastic, the lost, the passionate, and the faithful. For many, this gathering represents the whole of their church experience. They'll listen attentively to a message, they'll sing a few songs, they'll be invited to pray, and then they'll return to their lives. But for some, questions will start bubbling to the surface of their faith. Is this the extent of what Jesus intended for his followers? Who is the church for? Why does the world need the church, and what is the church after all? Well, the church isn't the building where people attend weekly services. It's not a program, a list of rules, or a philosophy. The church isn't a political affiliation, a country club, or a holiday tradition. The church was never intended to be just an assembly of people wearing nice clothes and saying nice things. The church is all the followers of Jesus everywhere. And the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It's the combination of two words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, meaning called. Thus, the church, the ecclesia, means the called out ones. In other words, the church, the collective body of all the followers of Jesus everywhere, is called out by someone for something, for a purpose. The beginning of the book of Acts has Jesus calling his disciples to a task, bringing something called the gospel, the good news, to all the world. And this gospel would go out to all the outsiders, the forgotten, the abandoned, and the excluded. And they, those outsiders, would see and receive that good news as actually good. And when Jesus talked about the gospel, it was always in conjunction with something else, something called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, God's purposes are made apparent. There's justice and righteousness. There's hope for the poor and for the oppressed. And under the kingdom of God, mercy and forgiveness take precedence over bitterness and resentment. Now, people previously deemed to be far from God are brought into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. And the fullness of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not merely expressed as a way for people to escape an evil world when they die. 
Rather, the good news of God's kingdom is about the announcement of God's eternity moving into the present world and carrying on into the life to come. The people who belong to Jesus join him in his worldwide restoration project. And the called out ones, the church, are committed to advancing this good news of God's kingdom into the world. Not as a means of helping people avoid the world, but rather to see God's kingdom life being made real here and now. The whole church with the power of the whole gospel for the whole world. It's a good overview. A couple of takeaways. Number one, this idea that we are part of the big C church, which is what? All believers everywhere. That's an important thought that we are a part of the global body of Christ for all time. We can go back from what we're looking at with the Acts of the Apostles. We're connected to the church that's going on in China and in Africa and in India, all over the place. Like, like it should matter. Our heart is connected to their heart. You'll see it even in some of the letters that, hey, the people there in Philippi helped support Paul as he was doing ministry. Like it's the church supporting the church. It's called the what? Body of Christ. And this idea that we are called out and called to does begin to give us a little bit clarity again on what the front door of the church is. Because even as we finish out in today's message, Jesus talked about false teachers, false churches, false gospels. Like there is some importance with understanding. And we could talk a little bit about that another time in terms of denominations and understanding discernment of what is the church. But we realize that this idea of the church, Jesus' design, Jesus' desire, there is a global mission, but there's also a what? A local responsibility. That's one of the things that got me excited about this. You kind of miss it as we just kind of read over it. And to the church in Thessalonica. Remember, there was a church in Jerusalem. It would have been easy to be like, that's the church. We're going to call you guys something else. But as God began to work there in Thessalonica, those people were called the church of Thessalonica. As much as God wants to do something globally with the church, there is a responsibility. There is a, a work that God wants to do in each city and each place that a church is birthed. There is a local responsibility. There's a role, not only for our city to play, but take it a step further for what? For you to play. Like God's design and desire for the church involves you. How do I know that? Because part of the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit is for the edifying building up of the body of Christ. The teachers, apostles, pastors, prophets, etc. All of those things that God wants to unleash in a spirit is all through you in and through the body of the church. And as much as people do have some really discouraging and disparaging things to say about the church, I hear that when talking about evangelism, the church is the greatest evil in the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like, man, you've probably not read a lot of church history. And I was going to show you a clip from William Lane Craig as he describes the power of one of the greatest unleashing of the forces of good has been the church on the world. Whether you want to talk about hospitals and healthcare, whether you want to talk about education, whether you talk about women's rights or, or people's rights or the idea of humanity and people being made in the image of God, all these things stem and are rooted in the word of God. And so when we begin to talk about the power you know, of the church throughout the world, salt and light, man, has God done some great things. But guess what? There have been some really discouraging, disparaging, and heartbreaking things that have been done in the name of the church as well. But here's what I want to say as we're kind of bringing this to a, a, a closing emphasis. Number one, God cares about the church. But here's what else I want to say that might make it a little more uncomfortable. And the church is. Like, yeah, he's interested in the big C church. But he also cares about what's going on in every little C church church, which means God cares 
about what's happening right here. Why does church matter? Like in the local context. Because again, how is God going to reach Fullerton? It's going to be parted through the what? Through the church. Because the church has a role to play. As the church begins to support and educate and equip the what? The family. Imagine how are marriages going to stay together? How are they going to be able to support and grow and disciple their kids? How are we going to take care of our elderly and do all the kind of things that we need as a family that's part of what the role of the church is. Where do we even get that design? Read your Bible <laughs> and begin to see God's design, God's desire for the church, but also the lost. Where does that heart come from? I can't give what I don't have. You know, as God begins to transform through the work of grace in my life, I begin to see people differently, not just as problems, but as people whom Jesus Christ died for. Where does that come from? That comes from the church. And so we begin to see how does God want to impact the city through his church? But we also see that a church is a place for us to come into what? To pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer. It is a place of worship where Jesus alone, where we begin to put our focus on him just like I would for a football game, soccer game, or any other event that I give priority. I come and say, Jesus, I'm going to make you my priority. It's a place where the preaching and teaching of the word of God is taught. That's important. But we can also see, man, this is the place where the sacraments, what I mean sacraments, communion, baptism, those things that we kind of hold on to that, that bring us into connection with the church for the last 2,000 years? What do you mean covenants? This is our marriages. This is our dedications. Like we are doing all of that under whose authority? Jesus' authority, not the state's authority, but it's Jesus' authority. Like who is it that governs all of that? That's part of the work of the church. And as we begin to take it a step further, the equipping of the saints what about the commissioning, the sending of God's people? All that should be happening in and through the what? The church. You want to know if you have a healthy church? This is part of what we're looking at. You're not looking at Caleb's design. You're looking at whose design? God's design. How accountable are we to God's blueprint, God's desire, God's design for the church? That's what I'm constantly praying and focusing on. What does it look like to be supporting, engaging? What does it look like to be partnering and planting? These are all the things that are part of God's heart. And I love it. If I had time today, I would break it all down to tell you why we do all our ministries the way we do. Why our connects groups, women's groups, uh, uh, men's groups, why the, the sowing seeds? Why do we drop off blankets filled with scripture for people that, that have an impact on their lives? Why are we involved in the, the, the retirement homes and elderly community? Why are we involved in the school district? Why do we do the things we do? Because this is what the design and the desire of the church is all about. You can be a part of all your different networks and things like that, but ultimately this is what you and I are gonna be accountable for. Has the church been marginalized throughout history? Yeah. There's things that we can look at and say, there are criticisms of the church that are valid. And as we begin to look at some of these different things, and we begin to say, what is it that we do for the people that say, Jesus I like, but not the church? Some of that should be a clue to say, maybe they've had a really poor experience with a church. Maybe they've had a really poor experience with a what? With a Christian. Maybe they've been a part of a church that's not really the what? The church. We talked about that the other week. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. There are cults and lots of people that call themselves churches. Two churches, I think, in the last year within just a walking distance of this place. You've got the Life Transformation Center now right down on Pomona and Commonwealth. That church has transitioned into a self-realization help center, but it still looks like a what? 
So it looks like a church. There's another Unitarian church where all roads lead to Jesus. And I tell you right on there. And again, it's still held in the building of a church. People think they're going to church, but that is not the what? That's not the church. Because Caleb said so? No, because Jesus says so. There is a sense that we do need to be careful. And I want to say this as we're closing up. As much as the church has been marginalized and there's, there's valid criticism of the church, we've lost a little bit about the beauty of what the church is, though. I love this introduction to 2 John. To the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also those who have known the truth. As John says, to the elect lady. The way I would describe my wife, the way you would talk about your mom, the way you would talk about someone that you would treasure and value is the way that Jesus describes the church. The Bible describes her as the bride of Christ. And so, yeah, people have had some negative experiences with the church, but in terms of, or I should say with a church, but when it comes to the church, the bride of Christ, the true believers in Jesus Christ in all places and all times everywhere, like, man, there is a, there is a beauty and a perfection that we want to look at and say, man, God's design and desire for the church is beautiful and perfect. But let me say this, but the church is also an imperfect reflection of a what? A perfect savior. Why? Because it's filled with sinners like you and me. We also have to recognize that we are an imperfect reflection of a perfect savior. And so that gives us the ability to listen to people who've had some negative experiences and challenge things and help us say, have they maybe struggled with a Christian? Have they struggled in a bad church or a church that's not living up to God's design? Because God's design and desire for the church is beautiful. It's wonderful. And just because a church isn't living up to that design and desire doesn't make all churches bad. When Jesus kind of laid out some of these ideas about the kingdom of God, you can look back in uh, Matthew chapter 13 where we get the parables. He also talks about the wheat and the tares. What do you notice about the wheat and the tares? They look what? They look really similar. And he goes on to describe how the wheat, what God planted, and the tares, what the what? Devil planted, and they grew together. As the wheat field was planted, the word of God went out. The devil comes up and plants all the tares, and it says they're going to grow together until the time of the end. And so guess what? Just as the devil always does, he's got a counterfeit. He's got a way to undermine and create subterfuge and create confusion. And so, yeah, guess what? In churches, in the kingdom of God around the world, there's wheat and tares. The real question is, which one am I? Like, that's what we are accountable to. As pastors, as people in the church to say, I don't want to be the tear. I want to be the wheat. Why do I say all this? Another very important passage talking about that God cares about the big C church, but he also cares about the little C churches. One of the best examples of this is found in the book of Revelations, chapters two and three, where Jesus is writing a what? A letter to the church, just like the Thessalonians are getting a letter. And Jesus lays out a letter to all seven of these churches that have been planted over these different times. And as he writes to them, and we see the letter to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, you're like, okay, cool, we're getting a letter from Jesus. Some of them, totally cool that you're getting a letter from Jesus. If you're in Smyrna and Philadelphia, you're like, man, Jesus was saying, guys, you are doing a great job. I see all the difficulty. I see all the challenges that you are going through, man. I am so proud of you. I look at the way that you guys are handling oppression. You're not giving up. Man, I just, this is, what you are doing is awesome. Hold fast, be strong. They get all this encouragement. No correction. You're like, whoa, let's go, Smyrna. 
Let's go, Philadelphia. But there were five other churches. And in these five other churches, in Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardis, Jesus had some encouraging things to say. Man, Ephesus, I see these works. I see these things that you guys are doing. Wow, good job. But I have this against you. And you guys need to understand this, that even good churches can be doing good things and still have some bad apples. That pastors and people in the church, as Jesus is walking, he says, I walk amongst the lapstands. Like Jesus is actually aware of the things that are going on in the church. And he calls out idolatry, he calls out immorality, he calls out the different things that are happening in the individual churches. He says, hey, you're doing this good, but this right here needs to be dealt with, or I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna take out your light. I'm gonna remove your lampstand. You're gonna lose your influence. And you don't have to Google far. I think even just in the last week, there were like two more different stories of pastors who've just been disqualified by their attitudes or their actions. And we hear about this consistently. Why? Because these things are happening. I can't just look and say, oh, look at all these good things that are coming out of the church. And that really just, Jesus says, man, I see through all of it. And there's things that you're doing that are good. And there are things that you need to deal with. And his word is repent. Here's the scary thing, crazy thing. Even in the church, it's like the dead or the zombie church was like, man, you guys are dead. He still gives the word what? Repent. Like in other words, you're still my church. I'm calling you back to myself before I come back and deal with you. Church in Laodicea, the one he said, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. He didn't have anything good to say to that church. Some have argued that this is a good overarching picture of church history. Some make that case that we're progressively watching through this idea of compromise and things like that that have happened throughout the church. And that last church, that Laodicean, that lukewarm church, that church of apostasy, that church of falling away, that we get these other information that we're going to read about in Thessalonians. What if we're watching the beginning of that church right now? Am I the church that Jesus spit out of my mouth? Like again, Jesus cares about the church, but he also cares about what? Churches, each one of these churches, real places, real people, and they open their letter and like a report card. Makes us think, I have to ask this, right? Lord, what would be our report card at Calvary Chapel Fullerton? Are we doing the things that you're asking me to do as a pastor? Because he calls out the pastors, but he also calls out the people. These things matter to the church. Jesus cares about each and every single church, the pastor and the people. The question is, do we take Jesus seriously? It's whose church? His church. We think about it. Are we about our father's business? Are we living, doing the church that he's called us to be? Not our version of church, but his version of church. I said this earlier, beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly there are ravenous wolves. Guys, the Bible tells us in the end times, evil men and postures will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are false churches, there are false teachers, there are false gospels, and they are real, and they will lead people straight to hell. I want to make that super clear. It does matter, this idea of truth, discernment. You need to understand, like, what's the church all about? I need to hold the church accountable to the word of God. And so we can have those conversations in a separate, like, hey, what about Catholicism? What about these different things? What about these different things? It really comes down to Jesus, scripture, we're holding the church accountable to the what? The word of God, not the word of God to the church. I'm not taking man's opinion on God's word. God's word is the standard for man. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is the focus and foundation of the church. 
The church matters. The true church. We have a role to play. We're watching it happen all over our city. But the church doesn't just matter. What's the last one? You matter. As much as we look at those churches, I also got to look at the mirror and say, what about me? What is God doing with me in our church? Have people been hurt by the church? Absolutely. I said it before. We are an imperfect reflection of a what? Of a perfect savior. If you've had that kind of encounter and there's all kinds of crazy, sad, dysfunctional stuff out there and people even have people sign NDAs and their churches and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Hey, there's accountability and there's light and there's truth. And I would tell you to someone, if you're talking to someone who's been hurt, had that experience, they need to share their story with a mature and healthy elder. And when I say an elder, somebody who's in a position, feel to help give encouragement, wisdom, and to say, hey, this is what we need to do with that information. But lastly, when we look at it, we need to be a part of the what? We need to be a part of the solution. Are there bad churches out there? Absolutely. How do we counter that? By being a healthy church. How does that play out in our lives? Guys, who's the church? We are. As we close out today and we're thinking about the churches in Fullerton, the churches in California, the churches in the globe, all that's great. But right here in this room this morning, who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to us. We are the church. When you get into your groups this week, when you spend some time reflecting, maybe you're watching online, you'll find these questions on the app. These are some good things for you to think about as we think about this idea of the church, God's design and God's desire. How does your church align with God's design and desire for the church? Hold Calvary Chapel Fullerton accountable to the word of God. Is your church fulfilling God's design and God's desire? That's important. You're a part of that. Number two, what does being an active part of the local church look like to you? Are you a consumer or a contributor? If you consider this your church, what does it look like to be an active part of the church? And lastly, if Jesus wrote you a letter, what would it say? Thessalonians got a letter. All seven of those churches got a letter. Jesus was very aware of the things that were happening. What would that look like if Jesus wrote you a letter considering you are a part of the what? The church, the body of Christ. Let's close out in prayer. Jesus, this morning, as we look at the work that you are doing in that city of Thessalonica. And for those three weeks as Paul planted those seeds of the gospel, a church was birthed, a church that would have an impact all over the globe. And as I look in this room this morning, Lord, there is evidence of how you have done that in and through the lives of the people here, Lord. People whose lives have been transformed by the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, by forgiveness, by the renewing of our mind, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit being transferred from darkness into light. And I would pray, Lord, as a collection of saints, as a collection of people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, I pray, God, that you would stir us up. Lord, that we would pray for our church, for our city, that we would be a city on a hill. That we would be people, Lord, that it's not just about coming into this building, but it's also about going out into the world to rescue, to bring the message of hope, Lord. As we think about what what you did in Thessalonica over 21 days. God, would you fan the flame of passion for the next 21 days and the next 21 days of all that you desire to do before you come back. Lord, help us to see your design for the church. Help us to see your design for us as a part of this church. Maybe this morning you feel like you've never really committed to that front door. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're like, man, I, I don't wanna just be a part of 
a church. I want to be a part of the church, the family of God. Let me just start again by saying this. If that's you today for the first time online, in person, would you just with me just acknowledge Jesus? You said that you were the door. And this morning, I want to walk through that door. I want to go from darkness into light. I want to have assurance that my sins are forgiven. I want to have assurance of spending eternity in heaven with you. I want to have assurance of you bringing heaven and life right now into my life. That you would give me purpose and power. Jesus, I thank you for this promise. I thank you that our life can be built on you, the rock. And maybe this morning, there's some of you, as you're thinking about, your life and your role in the church. And maybe today's the day where you say, hey, I need to make some changes and it's gonna start right now. Just right where you are, just as God would tell each one of those churches about what it means to repent, what it means to redo, to get back to those first works, to remember what it was like when I was just so in love with Jesus. If that's you this morning, just take a moment, repent and say, Lord, I... I haven't been doing the things that I want to do. And I remember that there was a time my love for you was greater. And Lord, starting today, I want to get back to doing that. I want to be about your business. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We pray for the outpouring of your spirit on and through our church that we might do all that's in your heart for our city. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.